Man, I gotta tell you guys, uh, Advanced Commitment Night was off the chain. It was amazing. Last Sunday night, we had such an incredible time. I was uh, kind of following up with staff members afterwards because I know that those guys were spending like, I mean, honestly, they were spending probably 16, 17 hours a day for the three days before we had that event, just kind of putting everything together that was necessary. It was an incredible time. But the thing that was really favorite thing about it was it wasn't a Tony Robbins event, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just a hype fest. It was, uh, it was deeply spiritual. And I just appreciate that about our church. I appreciate that we can have fun. I appreciate that we can gather. But I'll tell you what, I think if uh, you know, Advanced Commitment Night was anything, like uh, our first Give uh, Night weekend, which is November 12th and 13th, our commitment weekend. If it was anything like that, uh, we're gonna be surprised uh, to the extreme of what God is gonna do through our generosity for the sake of Central Florida. And I'm just so grateful for all the opportunities that we have to be able to do good and to help people who are really just lost and dying in Central Florida. This is an urgent situation. We need to be able to meet the needs of people. If you notice, one of the things that Jesus did often before he offered salvation to somebody was he either fed them or he healed some kind of physical problem or emotional or spiritual problem that they had. Sometimes in order for a heart to be open, we have to do good to that heart first. And so that's what we're doing. That's our strategy. We're helping people take their next step toward Christ. That's the mission of Grace Church. But we're doing that by teaching them the scriptures and we're doing that by helping them heal from the brokenness of bad choices that they've made and brokenness from the choices that other people have made against them. And if you know, you don't have to look far for somebody who is just upside down in this world and our heart is for them, and we're going to do and bring the good that God has for them. So we are in the series right now. We've got two more weeks left called in the Good Initiative, right? We're talking about what does it look like for us to do the good, expect the good, and proclaim the good to Central Florida, and that's what we're doing. So we've been looking in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 um, throughout this entire time. We're now going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15, right? And this is a, a part where Jesus or rather Paul, is talking about the nature of generosity. What does it look like for us to be the kind of people? And how does generosity flow out of the heart that is Christian? And so we're gonna take a look at some of that today. Here we go, verse 10 says this. Paul writes, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Let's come back to this verse real quick here and look at it as we've read it. So the first thing I want you to see is that Paul starts off by affirming something the Bible affirms over and over and over again. Everything in the world belongs to God. Can I just say, like, even if you're not religious in the room, like you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, doesn't that make sense? If you were just to imagine or make up your own God, right? Wouldn't that God who actually created everything in the world or created the universe, created the heavens, created the world that we're planet that we're on right now, solar system, everything in the universe. I mean, it makes sense that he would have a claim to the things that he created. Well, that's exactly what the Bible claims as well, that God has a claim to everything in the universe, that because he created it, it belongs to him. Not only everything in the universe, but also you and I, who also are part of the universe, he says, everything that we have Everything that you and I would say, this is what I own, is first and foremost owned by him. So in the scriptures, there's a concept that's called stewardship, right? Um, and, and, and the idea behind it is this, is that we don't walk around as Christians with an ownership mentality over our lives. I don't own my kids. I got 18 years to pour Jesus and right living into them. And then they're going to make their own decisions on all of that, right? But, but ultimately, my, I, don't have my, I don't own my relationship with my wife. Certainly don't own my wife. 
Uh, she doesn't own me. We don't own each other in that relationship, but we are stewards of our relationship together. Stewardship is temporary management over something that belongs to someone else. And if everything in the world belongs to God, our role in life is to be a steward of everything that God has for us. So it starts off by affirming that principle. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. Now, remember, guys, we've talked about this a couple of times, but just to remind you this week, this is language that's 2,000 years old, and it was spoken to people who totally would have gotten this concept right away. But because we're not farmers, we don't get this. Now, if you were to teach this in Iowa, in Indiana, they'd be like, oh, we totally get what's going on right now. But you live in Florida, right? So watch this. Now, he who supplies seed, seed is what you put in the ground in order to be able to have a harvest and to grow your food, right? Makes basic sense, right? So now he who supplies the seed, so even the stuff that we have that we're able to invest in this life comes from God. And that could be your research, your money. It can be your, you know, your, your bank accounts. It can be your 401ks. It can be your intelligence, your specialized knowledge that you have in the world. It can be your education. It can be your background. It can be the inheritance that you got from your parents. It can be anything. All of that comes from God. He's the one who supplies the seed to the sower. That's us. We're the sowers. We're the ones that are going to put it in the ground. We're going to be the ones that are going to invest. We're going to, want, we're going to be the ones who create the right environment for what God gives to us to grow over time. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's your finances for generosity, and bread for food, our needs. So God doesn't just give us stuff to give away. He didn't give you everything that you have because you're supposed to give it away to missionaries in the church. Oh, he gave you some of the stuff that you have so that you can enjoy those things. He gives you the ability, the Bible says, to make wealth and to have what you have. So sometimes what we're supposed to do with our finances, our generosity, is we're supposed to be generous towards our families. You need to be generous towards your family. You need to be generous towards God's church. Over and over again, the priority of the scriptures is that you are faithful to God's church so that there's nothing holding it back. So there's nothing holding it back, right? Watch this. We'll talk about that because there's an opportunity in it for us in this. And watch this, and bread for our needs. So not only is he gonna let you have be generous towards your family, but he's also gonna provide for your needs as well. And he will also supply and increase your store of seed. So not only, watch this, is he allowing you to be generous, but with that, he is going to take the seed, which is investable, and he's gonna give you more of it as you're faithful with it. So if God finds you and you're like, I'm just gonna hold on to everything you give me, what's the reason or motivation for him to give you anything else? You can't, he can't execute his plan through your life and so he's not gonna give you any more for that. So what he does is he says, I'm gonna look for those who are faithful and those who are faithful, I'm gonna give more, right? We're gonna talk about what more means in a second because that's key, all right? It says, I will increase your store of seed, what you can give away and will enlarge the harvest. Harvest is when you get everything back. This is the maturity of your CD. This is the stock going up, right? This is the harvest of your righteousness. Every single time the scriptures tell us over and over again, there's not a formula where you give $1,000 to God and God promises to give you 1,000 back. Does that happen? Yes. Why? Because he or she who's faithful with little, the Bible says, will be given much. Why? Because he can, he, can, he, can, he can trust you with what he's given to you. Just like he will give you better joy in your marriage when you're faithful in your marriage. It's not any different, but watch this. The reason why he doesn't just, why this doesn't say, and by the way, I will enlarge your bank account and, 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 and just kind of end right there. Why does he do that? Here's why. Because he doesn't want a transactional relationship with you. Listen, if you and I knew that I gave $100 and I get $1,000 back, I would just view God as my ATM. And I don't want to be in a relationship with my wife where she's only trying to extract something from me. 
And she doesn't want to be in a relationship where I'm always trying to extract something from her. I want to give to her and she wants to give to me because out of the love that we share together, we give to each other. Not because she's trying to manipulate something out of me and God's like, no, no, I don't want your stuff. The Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's an old fashioned way of simply saying, I got mad cash, okay? That's just what that is. Like, he's like, I got everything I need. I can produce it out of the air, right? But watch this. But instead of that, what I want is your heart. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want your finances to be okay for you so that I can use you on every opportunity that I'm going to give you. I'm going to talk about that in a second. All right. But notice it says, what I will do is I'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I will produce kindness in you when you're generous. I'll produce goodness in you when you're generous. And I'll produce a loving spirit in you when you're generous. You know, it's really, really hard to be an unkind an unjust and a hurtful person and be a generous person at the same time. Our generosity changes who we are. So I have a couple of blessings when it comes to, to money. And the first one's not gonna seem like a blessing when I tell it to you. But I watched my father make a lot of money in our, our times. And we spent a lot of times on big boats in the Bahamas and things like that when I was a kid, at least for the first half before my parents divorced. And then we went, woo. And uh, but uh, we did all that stuff. But what I watched, this is the blessing, is I watched my father misuse all of the money that he had. Every single day of his life, he spent all of it. We had the best cars and boats and all kinds of things that we had. Uh, but he spent every single dollar that he had. And on his, he became a Christian at the very last year of his life. But in that very last year, he was kind of bedridden for the most part. And it was interesting. I watched my father, who was rebellious, adulterous, hateful, abusive, violent. I saw a guy who, I mean, in every possible way did not look like Jesus. And I watched the father in heaven protect him and provide for him every single day of his life until he breathed his last breath. And sometimes God is generous to us when we're disobedient to him. He is faithful to us when we're not faithful to him. And can I just say, thank Jesus for that. I, I stand in that. And I'm so grateful to have watched that, but I've also saw the downside of the way that he treated his money in his life because he constantly always walked around with anxiety about it, not anxious about what he had. He could pay for what he had because he was making just enough money to be able to do that. He was always anxious about what he didn't have and what he wanted down the road. I wanna tell you that ultimately that was a blessing to me because it made me decide I was going to do something really different with my resources. I was gonna make some different changes. So one of those changes was I came across a pastor in Atlanta. His name's Andy Stanley. Some of you know who he is. Andy uh, has a real big church. I think it's the second, or at least at one point, it was the second largest church in America. He's a very good communicator. Um, and he was teaching about a principle. I want to teach it to you this morning. I think it's fantastic. It was super helpful. And we have a lot of young people in the room. So tune into this. This will be super helpful and will absolutely bless your life. Okay? All right. So one of the things that's true is that we need margin in our life. And so Andy decides that margin, he defines margin like this. Margin is the space between our current performance and our limits or an amount beyond what is actually needed. So let's take this first part of the definition. Margin is the space between our current performance and our limits, right? So let's talk about mar margin, not inside of money for a second, but in terms of your time. So margin applies to all kinds of different areas of your life, including your finances, but time as well. For some of you, you have run like too far too fast, too hard for too long. And you tell yourself these lies. We know it, Kelly and I know it, because we've done it. 
And that is, this is a season of our life right now. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to grind in order to get ahead. We totally understand that. When Kelly and I started the church 20 years ago, every single time we took a day off, it felt like as we were pushing the ball up the hill, as you're pushing the ball, and if you've ever built anything, whether it's a nonprofit or you built your own company or even your family when you first start out, you're just you know pushing the ball uphill, pushing the ball uphill, and then you take a break, and then as you turn around, that ball comes down the hill and runs right over you, right? It's hard. So the natural tendency for some of us is that we're just gonna work even harder. And so we're working 16, 17 hours a day for years and years and years just to be able to move things forward. It was challenging, it was hard, and that was with God's help, okay? So I know that some of you know exactly what that's like, but margin, so here's what it is. So margin is the space between your current performance and your limits. So if your limit is here and your performance is right here, then you have no margin at all. This is an unsustainable way of living. Eventually, the ball will come rolling down the hill and it will crush you, all right? You need to have space. You need to say, here's my limit, but here's where my performance is gonna be. So the way that he applied this when it came to finances changed my entire life. And here's, the way, here's, here's how it worked. He said, in any five to 10 years, a period of time, in any five, 10 year period of time, what's gonna happen is your, inc- your salary, and sometimes we go backwards, but, but your salary will generally increase just a little bit. Let's just take the basic raise of 3%, right? So you're gonna have 3% more, 3% more, 3% more. Now it's not a lot on a, on a, on a year to year kind of basis right now, right? But, but listen, listen, if, you take and you say, I'm going to freeze my lifestyle at this point right here. You just choose wherever that is. Like I'm gonna choose, I'm, right here, I'm gonna freeze my lifestyle here. 3%, 3%, 3%. Over time, what happens is you create margin. My performance is up here, but my lifestyle is right here, right? My limits are down here. I've said, I'm gonna limit everything right here. And because of that, you now have space. And you know what this space does for you? It's a blessing to you. Two things it does for you. Number one, it makes you less anxious. Why? Because when the air conditioning breaks, you could write a check for it and not worry about it. Other than having to put it on your credit card at 18% and then having to like be overwhelmed by it. Now, the other side of this, it gives you the opportunity to do what God wants you to do when he asks you to do it. If God says, hey, I want you to go on a mission trip right now. And you're like, I can't, why? Because my expenses and my life are right here. This is what happens to a lot of us. We get more money and they go, oh, Let's, let's buy this and this and this. And before you know it, bam, here it is. You're right here and it doesn't work anywhere. 25 years ago, I was a young pastor at another church and a guy comes into the church and uh, I, I knew him not, not real well, but just kind of like loosely. And I started off my ministry life in counseling and in pastoral care, right? And so he comes in and he says, pastor, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, fine, let's, let's set up an appointment to do that. And, and we did. I thought maybe marriage problems or maybe some anxiety, depression. He was a high performance kind of guy. And he came in, he said, I, I'm, a, I'm really embarrassed to talk to you about this. I don't want to talk to any of my peers about this, but I have to, confidentially, I want to, I want to talk to you about this. And, and I said, so what, what's going on? And he said, uh, they're repossessing both of my cars right now. And my house is in foreclosure because we haven't made payments on it in so long. And I said, I said, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm an anesthesiologist. And I was like, so can you, can you, I mean, just not to try to get too, but if we're going to solve this, I need details. So how much money do you make? And he said, I make $350,000 a year. This 30, or this 25 years ago, $350,000 a year. And I was like, okay, so what I want you to do is we're going to talk a little bit about that now. Next week, you're going to come back with all your stuff. And we're going to just basically input it into a budget system, right? We're going to look at this, right? And, and the, the amazing thing about it was I said, the next three years are gonna be really hard and they're gonna be professionally and personally embarrassing for you. There's no way around that if you wanna get out of this. 
And I said, you know, I'm going to, you know, the, the BMWs and, and the Mercedes and all this stuff you got, right? they got to go. The $2 million house that you have on a $350,000 salary, it's got to go. You're over your head in that. It's too much. And I said, I'm going to introduce you to something called the Honda Accord. Okay? <laughs> all right? And, 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 and I was like, this is going to be helpful for your life. And you won't have to drive it forever, but she's going to drive it for a while, okay? And you know what happened? Was after that three-year period, he completely was out of debt, completely out of debt. Because he took all the excess that he had, and he had a lot, because he, we took his bills and we went way down with his bills. He sold his house, he sold the cars, they went into a cheaper condominium, all of that kind of stuff. And before you know it, he's back on top of being able to do that, not spending all this stuff, creating margin in his life. Look at this. Margin space between our current performance and our limits and or the amount beyond what we need, right? What is actually needed. So verse 11 says it like this. When you are generous, you'll be enriched in every way. That's blessed. When you are a generous person, God will bless you. Sometimes financially, yes. But sometimes it's gonna be to in, uh, enrich or, or uh, make bigger your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, blessed so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So look at this. You'll be blessed when you are generous so that you can be generous on every occasion. Did you see this? So why are we blessed? So that what? So that we can be generous, right? So, so it's not so that you can just put a bunch of money in the bank and just let it sit idle. It's for the purpose of you and I being generous on every occasion years ago. God told me, he said, he said Mike, I want you to, uh, I want you to, um, every single time you go to the, the grocery, not the grocery store, every time you go to the convenience stores and you're filling up your car and one of those guys comes up and says, hey, can you buy me some food? I want you to do it 100% of the time. I'm like, okay, Lord. And so when someone comes up, they, they do that. And I, and, and I don't just say, I don't like, you know, I just say, hey, go in there and get whatever it is that you want or need. There was a guy, uh, this is on 1792 by Horatio. There's like a little service station right up there next to the orange juice place, you know? And uh, I was there one day and uh, I didn't see that this guy pulled up with a basket, like a cart. And uh, I said the same thing to him. So he took the cart in there and came out with $200 later. And uh, I was like, cool, man, you are really good at this. And, uh, and, uh, but, you, but you know what? It was just one of those things because he, I, I have everything. He's got nothing and we could put $200 worth of something in there. It, it just, it means something. Because what happens is it actually makes, it brings thanksgiving to that person. It's a piece of goodness from the Father. Can I even give you an example that will stretch some of you? You're gonna be like, some of you are gonna be judgy, okay? I don't wanna serve a church that's judgy, all right? So, but, so, so this, you're gonna be judgy about this. I'm at the uh, corner of like, I think it's Magnolia maybe, and 50, and a guy comes up, he's obviously homeless. He says, hey, will you buy me a pack of cigarettes? I was like, yes, I'll go in there. And so I got him two packs of cigarettes. I came back out. I gave him two packs of cigarettes. Now, some of you are a little judgy about that, right? But, but, but I'm just thinking to myself, what would Jesus do in a situation like this? Here's the bigger principle, right? You go, oh, hold on. Maybe you shouldn't have given him that. No, no, there's nothing in the Bible that says when you give something, you watch to see how it's actually going to outcome. No, no, because God's in control of all those things. Here's what I did. I came out. I said, here's your pack of cigarettes. Ha <laughs> ha, bonus. You know, here's your other pack of cigarettes. He's like, that's so amazing, man. Thank you so much. His whole life comes down to this one little piece of joy that he has, and that is cigarettes. And, you know, God is so illustrious and amazing and incredible that maybe even down the road, this guy gets cancer and cancer is what brings him to Christ. We know nothing about the future with this person. All I knew is that I was called to do good in the moment every single time I'm asked to do it. But here's what happens. 
if my whole life is like this, where my bills and my life are just even with each other, I can't do it. Because you know what I got to think? I got to think, oh my gosh, it's either give him a pack of cigarettes or take care of Kelly. And I'm going to take care of Kelly every time. So in order for us to fulfill what God's talking about, it requires us to have margin in our life. I'm not saying you should have massive amounts of savings. I'm saying that you should have some to, got, to, to make sure that in those moments when something terrible like the air conditioning comes out, you're able to do that. Now, some of you go, oh, I don't have enough money. I totally get that. I totally get that, right? Because Kelly and I started, I had $8 an hour when we first started. We had $60,000 in student loans. She made $23,000 a year. When she got that job at Harcourt Brace Textbook Publishing Company, we thought we were the richest people in the world. We're like $23,000. What are we gonna do to spend it all? And then we realized uh, that we had no money. And, uh, but, but you know what we did was we still gave to the church and tithed and did everything we did. And every single time we've been faithful, God has enlarged our circle what he does. Sometimes he enlarged our circle by giving us peace. Sometimes he gave us more resources, but he will enlarge your circle as you are generous. You'll be enriched in every way so that on every occasion you can be generous and through us, our generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, one of my favorite things in the world is uh, watching people who've been around grace for the whole season of life, almost 20 years. There are people who started the church with me and are still here with us. And you know, all the time, their hearts are filled with thanksgiving. Five years ago, I gathered 500 people together and we said, we need to get out of Edgewater High School and we need to build a building. There's nothing flashy about this building. This building is functional, amazing, and awesome. It works for us. Every single one of you who's been here since six years are in the place of thanksgiving for the generosity of those who came before you. And one day down the road, people like us who are generous now We'll be looking at people sitting in these, in these, you know, that are sitting in these seats and in this church who, because of our generosity, they became followers of Jesus. Because of our generosity, they moved from being de churched to finding hope again because the church wouldn't yell at them and always make them feel terrible. It would point them to a more beautiful story of what God could do in their life. We're going to see that happen here at Grace. We're seeing that happen at Grace. Just last weekend, in between services, this couple came up to me. And they're really sweet. And I've seen them around Grace quite, quite, for quite some time. They said, hey, we're so sad to tell you that we're leaving. Uh, and I said, oh, that's so bad. Like, what, how are you guys? They said, we're just moving home. We're going to go to Colorado Springs. And that's where, that's where home is. And, uh, and I was like, that's, that's wonderful. I hope you guys have an amazing time. But he said to me, he teared up. And he said to me, uh, Pastor Mike, when I came to this church, I wasn't a Christian. I found Jesus here. And I've been thinking about that ever since. Here's a guy, 20s, found Jesus. He's going to tell his children about Jesus one day. They'll tell their children about Jesus one day. They'll tell people in Colorado Springs about Jesus one day. All because of the generosity of people sitting in the, in the, in the room right now. What we're doing is deeply spiritual. What we're doing has eternal consequences. And how we spend our money actually does matter. But we need to wrestle with it. We need to figure out what is God saying to me in this? Don't just write a check. I'm not interested in a check. I want you to give your heart fully to the Lord. Verse 12 says it like this. This service, this generosity that you perform, 
It's not just supplying the needs of the Lord's people. It is doing that. But it's so much more than that. It's actually overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. Down the road, more and more people will be praising the Lord here in Central Florida because of our generosity. Just like some of these people. Watch this. My wife and I moved down here at the very beginning of the pandemic. We didn't know a soul down here, but we knew we wanted to find our community within a church. Grace Winter Garden just happened to be right across the street from our neighborhood. And from the first step we walked in there, right then and there we became a part of the, the Winter Garden Grace family. The Winter Garden campus is that family community, that family-inclusive culture. Um, for my wife and I, that was definitely overwhelming in a positive way. 90% of my best friends down here are from church. We're not only seeing each other on Sunday, uh, but we're hanging out outside of church. And now as, as we have a three-week-old baby, everybody from church has been pouring in, and that is something that, uh, a culture that we've never been a part of before. Um, it is something really special for us. As a 26-year-old married couple, my wife and I, uh, I think we were given ourselves an excuse of, hey, we're young, we need to save up. You know, when we get older, we can, we can be more a part of the church financially and give. Um, but then we started hearing stories of people within the church of their generous hearts, of their radical giving, uh, and open up our eyes a little more. Um, and we felt through those stories that God was convicting us to say, hey, it's, it's the time to take your next step uh, in your trust and in your relationship with me. Um, and that started with challenging us with our, our biggest comfort, our biggest security, and that's our finances. We no longer look at our finances as our own, but a blessing from God. So why not give that back to, to his church and to his people to see what he wants to use for it? We almost feel like it's um, a way of worship, but ultimately I think it's just furthering our trust and relationship with him. Um, and as we grow closer to him, I feel like life just continues to get better with our relationship with him and the relationship with my wife and I, uh, relationship within people within the church. And it starts with us Welcome to our Advanced Commitment Night. Look, Clint, this is all of Great Church right here, all right? We got every campus represented. We are pumped that you are here. Are you pumped to be here? I think the Good Initiative is extremely exciting. Um, one reason is because it's going to hold us accountable because we're not doing this alone. We're doing this with uh, the community of believers within the church as well, too. And it's going to continue to push us to, to be uncomfortable, but that's exciting because we can't wait to see um, what Christ has in store for us and what he has in store for our church. We give to Grace because we feel a part of the Grace mission uh, to continue to grow and help people take their next steps towards Christ. And we just look at these past two years and how much this church has grown and how many blessings this church has received. I can only imagine within the next two years what Grace Church is going to look like.
I love, I love what they, I love what he said. I think their family is amazing. I mean, 26 years old and they're like, you know, we have, I mean, they've got a young baby, they've got new house, they've got all this stuff. They have every reason in the world not to give and yet they decided to do so. They watched around and they looked around, they saw the generosity, radical generosity of everyone else. It inspired them as well. Guys, that's part of what it means to, you know, well up into thanksgiving for the Lord. As we are obedient, we do things that other people look at in our church and go, wow, how did they accomplish what they accomplished? It's not us that they look at, it's God that they look at. They go, wow, look at all the great things that God is doing at Grace. It's amazing to see. There's a story in in a danger. There's a story in a danger that Jesus tells us about when it comes to our resources and it comes to our generosity. For some of us, we just sit back and and I know, and then kids, we've we've talked about this before, but I know 100% that in nine, actually in 99% of the time, The reason why people are afraid to give is because of fear, because of fear of a very specific kind, and that is that God will not continue to provide for me, that God will not walk with me through life, that the blessings I have right now are the most that he's going to bless me, and therefore, I can't trust him with my future. And so this is a spiritual thing that we're doing. Jesus talks about this, and he talks to a young man who comes to him seeking information on how to be saved. And it's interesting because Jesus takes this information and he applies it actually financially to him with the question of salvation. Not that in any way Jesus is uh, basically saying that uh, your finances have anything to do with you becoming a follower of Jesus, but here in this situation, it seems that your putting first of finances in your life could have an impact on your eternal life. And I'll tell you how in just a second. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 says this. A certain uh, ruler asked Jesus, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus' response to him is, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, the first part of this, uh, this young man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. He calls him good because he sees himself fairly as a good person. And you're gonna see that in just a second. He sees himself as someone who is actually checking the boxes, knocking it out of the park and doing what he needs to do. So he asks Jesus, what do I have to do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, at the very beginning, he starts on the wrong foundation because the wrong foundation is what do I need to do to get to heaven? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing that you can do that I can do to get to heaven. None of our good deeds, our works, our giving, or any of that is going to lead us to heaven. But what does lead us to heaven is something that, not that we do, but something that we trust in, and that is Jesus. We trust Jesus. We give Jesus our life, the big things and the small things. And that's what's the problem with this young man. He says, a certain young ruler said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds, wanting him to know he's not as good as he thinks he is. If Jesus is the good teacher and he thinks he's good, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. What Jesus is saying here is, he's saying, you call me good. Why do you call me good? Well, the reason is because no one's good except for God alone. I'm God. You're not you're not good enough to get there on your own. Next verse. He says, you know the commandments, right? And everybody at this point in time, young Jewish man would, young Jewish woman would know the commandments because they were steeped in them from birth. He said, you know the commandments, right? The 10 commandments. You shall not commit adultery. He's thinking to himself, check, I got that one. You shall not murder. Check, I got that one. You don't steal. Nope, haven't done that. Uh, You shall not give false testimony. Killing it on that. Never done that before. Are you honoring your father and mother? He says, absolutely, yes. Done all these things, right? And by the way, not only have I done all these things, I've done all these things since I was a child. 
I'm killing it, Jesus. And he's feeling good because at this point, these are the questions Jesus asked him. He didn't ask him every single one of the commandments. He just took some, a few of them, a big ones, and he said, hey, here's some of the a sampling of these. How are you doing? And he's like, nailing it, Jesus. And so he's thinking, this is what I must do to inherit eternal life. But it's interesting because Jesus' response to him was not, you've nailed it, you've got it right. Verse 22 says it like this. When Jesus heard this, when he heard that he had done all of these things right. So one of the things that we recognize is that this young man is doing it better than most people, period. He's more moral. He's more straight-laced. He's on the road more than most people. But Jesus is going to show him he could not be further from the kingdom if he tried. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You just lack this one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So let's pause here for a second. So when we look at a passage like this from the past, and we look at it as a story that Jesus is telling, right? What is the principle behind this? Is the principle behind this that to inherit eternal life, we have to sell everything and give it to the poor? Well, the answer to that is no, but maybe. This is not about us. This is about him. But it could be about some of you here too as well. You have made your wealth. You have made your resources. You have made your stuff front and center in your life. And so Jesus is seeing into this young man's heart and he knows that he has a lot of stuff. And so he says, hey, here's the one thing. I'm gonna zero in on this one thing, this one thing that's holding you back from me. And that is you can't give your life to me because you've given your life to your money. There's only one time in the Bible where God says, you can do this or you can do this. You can serve this or you can serve this, but you can't serve both. One time, you can't serve money and you can't serve God. You will love one and hate the other. You will serve one and you will be, you will be ruled by the other, right? When Jesus heard his, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything. Because he knew that this was an idol in his life. And that's what this is called. It's called idolatry. It's the idea that there's anything between you and God. Now that can be anything, guys. That can be you defining your entire life through your sexuality. That can be you defining your entire life through your money. That can be you defining your entire life through food. That can be you defining your entire life through exercise. It can be you defining your life through all kinds of things, some bad things and some good things. You can define your life by them. But we are followers of Jesus first and foremost. He is the most important thing and the only priority in the Old Testament, he says this, I am a jealous God. I will have no one before me. And the idea behind this is not jealousy like you and I would do in a human way that's all broken and weird. He's jealous because he's like, I'm the only good thing and the only ultimate thing that's worthy of you investing your life in. Everything else is less. So sometimes it comes across when he says things like, I'm a jealous God that he's mad at you. He's mad for you, not at you. He's mad for you when you hold on to something that's less than him. He says, you lack this one thing, sell everything, give it to the poor. And look at it, it's so generous. And by the way, hey, listen, I know you're gonna feel like this is a loss, but you're gonna have treasure in heaven. Hey guys, this is something that the early church understood so much better than we do. And I think the reason for it is because we have so much stuff. They didn't have much. Remember in their prayer, give us this day, our daily bread. They're trying to figure out how to get bread today. We don't have to figure that out, the majority of us. Because we have so much stuff, we have forgotten that often the pattern of following Jesus is we lose here in order to win there. This is the entire pattern of the New Testament. Jesus didn't win on the cross. I hear people say that sometimes. No, he did not. 
he was hung between two thieves and died a shameful death. He died on that cross. He was brutalized on that cross. He was shamed on that cross. He was made fun of on that cross. He was spit on that cross. He was stuck with a spear on that cross. He was humiliated. There was no win on the cross. The cross was horrible. But after his death, the father raised him up and said, I will give you the name that is above every name, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess under earth that Jesus is Lord. It's an incredible picture. Jesus had to lose here so he could win there and he could win, us, win for us. Just in the same way, he said, I'm gonna lose now so that you can have eternal life, so that you can have eternal life. We sometimes lose here so that others can have eternal life that are not yet quite in the room, or we haven't yet met them. It's what we do. This is not abnormal. This is it. He's like, sell everything, give to the poor. And by the way, guess what? One day, all of this will be given back to you. The kingdom of God will be the place where you reap your rewards But here's his response, verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. We don't think of sad and wealthy at the same time in our culture. We don't don't think of sad and wealthy in the culture. We tend to think about, you know, when you have a lot, everything's awesome all the time. It's not true. All you have to do is talk to somebody who's really rich. I'm not talking about a little bit rich. I'm talking about someone who's really rich. They're sometimes the saddest people. The reason why he became sad was because he knew, I can't follow Jesus. I've done all these moral things right in my life, but I can't follow Jesus because I love money more than I love him. And so if that's the thing for you, maybe one day God will say, take everything that you have and sell it. It wasn't something that Jesus was opposed to doing at times. Once he encountered this young man and this young man was filled with lust and Jesus said, listen, man, it's better for you just to go ahead and pluck out your eyes and enter the kingdom of heaven blind than to die apart from me. It was so radical and crazy. You look at it, you go, what does that mean? It means him first. There was a question during this campaign, during this giving initiative that uh, really kind of wrecked me, and I'm going to share it with you, um, because it's easy for me to give. I have teaching gift and giving gifts. I love giving. But this is, this is the question, not what are you going to give, but here it is. What am I not giving and why? What are you like, this is mine, and God can't touch it. Do work with God on that. It could be you have an idol. What am I not giving and why? C.S. Lewis picked up this thought back in the 1960s. He said this, when you're, when you're looking at your life, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you'll get neither. It's so true. The Bible says it another way. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will be added to you. He doesn't even say you can't have them. He said, put your priorities right, God first, and everything else will be added to you as a result of that. He's not saying you can't have it here, and he's not saying you can't have it there. He's just saying, put me first. And then Jesus, as he sees this young man walking away, he says, verse 24, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know why it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Because of stuff. Because I, you, we, our whole country, what we can do is when we feel bad about something, we can just cover it up with stuff or experiences instead of running to the Father. He said, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then we go back to Paul, and he finishes us up with this. 
Verse 13, because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Take a look at this. I want you to read it backwards. Here's what he's saying. Because of your salvation, the gospel of Christ, because of your salvation and your obedience, you have proved yourselves because of your generosity. In your generosity, you prove yourself through your obedience that the confession of the gospel is what really matters to you most. This is a deeply spiritual thing. And the whole thing ends like this. And in their prayers for you, whose prayers? In the prayers of those down the road who will follow Christ, who will have their marriage put back together because of counseling, who have been encouraged, who have been strengthened, who become followers of Jesus, have their babies baptized, whatever it is, and in their prayers for, your, for their hearts, will go, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I experience this all the time. I'm gonna tell you how. In their prayers, they pray for you. For you I'm sorry. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. I, I wanna thank you guys for being such an encouraging church to me. I have pastor friends that their church is just, they're not nice. And all the time when I'm walking around, you guys are out there, you killed that message, Pastor Mike. Thank you so much. That was helpful over and over and over. Get that every weekend. Thank you so much. Let's keep it up. All right. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing though, that I really love is I love when someone comes along and I've had so much of this lately and it just inspires me so much, encourages me so much. You guys will come up and you'll say, Pastor Mike, uh, when our kids are being put to bed or when we go to dinner, uh, when we have dinner as a family, uh, we pray for you by uh, name every night. Thank you. It's, it's this. When you're doing something generous and kind for other people and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. I think the reason for that, and I think the reason why people have been called, first of all, it's the reason why pastors stay on the straight and narrow. It's not willpower. It's not always character. It's not those kind of things. Staying right with God is a spiritual task. It's not just muscling up and getting through it. It's your prayers that help us. It's your prayers that sustain us. It's your prayers that put us before the Father all the time. Keep it up, keep it up. It's to your advantage that we are prayed for. But, but I think what it is, is every once in a while, I'm up here preaching and God's word will say something and it'll ignite something in your heart. You'll be forgiven for something. You'll, you'll have that moment where you let go of something you've held onto for your whole life or you get an insight that you've never seen before and it opens you up in a new way. And automatically you turn, you go, thank you, Pastor Mike, for doing that. And then what happens is in your thankfulness, your hearts go out. Thank you for that. But that same thing is true for you in your life as you treat other people. The more and more generous you are with your time, the more generous you are with your resources, the more generous you are with your praise, the more generous you are with your heart more and more people will turn that back around. It will rebound onto you and it will be a blessing to your life. I promise. God's called us to be these people and that spreads like wildfire. And that's what I wanna see us do here in Central Florida. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Father, thank you for your love for us, for teaching us, for guiding us, for loving us so well. We ask now that you'd help us to be the people that you've called through the scriptures us to be. Generous people who are ready to do good at any moment. People with margin, God. People who have the ability to respond to what your call is when you call us. Thank you, God, for giving us everything that we have in life. It's yours. In Jesus' name, amen.